Welcome to Folk and Beyond with Air Stephen for a journey into contemporary folk music from all over the planet. Now for what you've all been waiting for ever since the news got out. Ladies and gentlemen, with me today, live in the WTJU Air Studio, the Charlottesville Enigma, Artemis Idioticus, Artemis Harmonicus, Artemis Pianicus, Afro Saxon, Afro DZ Action, indeed Charlottesville's biggest kook, and ladies and gentlemen, he will be here to etymologize kook, for he has read through the Random House Collegiate Edition Dictionary 16 times, and that's no Funkin' Wagnall. Here he is, the tattered Demalion Hypersesquipedalian, the Art Wheeler. Hi. Gee, that's a hard act to follow. I thought you were introducing Tony Danza for Pete's sake. How about we go right to some gospel to start us off? Let's have some gospel. This is an original composition of the Art Wheeler? Yes. An influence of many tunes, a compilation of uh, work I've been doing in the African American church for about 26 years. From here to Los Angeles, I'm very humbled and proud to say. And it has uh, my great, great dearest friend, uh, Robert Joss, Joss Bay on drums. And I played the Hammond organ piano and bass on it. Next for us, we're going to have the great guitar Slim Jr. singing and playing guitar from New Orleans with the Memphis Horns, who were uh, famous for working with uh, Carla Thomas and Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin. Produced by my great friend George Wayne Weeks and myself, and I play uh, Hammond organ, piano, tambourine, and arrange the horns on it. Let's listen in. This is too nice to be talking. Help yourself. Oh! 
What was that? That was Steal Away, and it was sung by the great guitar Slim Jr. from New Orleans. And we recorded part of it at uh, Sun Studios in Memphis, where Elvis recorded and Johnny Cash and some of the others. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Art Wheeler with us here at WTJU. A lot of people say he knows more about music than anybody in town. That's quite a claim. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can work it out. And don't you know it? Do my best. You got some big things coming up here, Art. Yes, I am exultant and excited and humbled by a performance of some symphonic music uh, that is being composed, written about on the Five Aesop's Fables. And it'll appear at the 
Performing Arts Center this Saturday, 3 in the afternoon, 7 in the evening. And then two Sundays following that, it will be conducted by the world's greatest conductor, Lauren Mizell of the New York Philharmonic, at his theater in Rappahannock. Amazing. I could not be more excited. And isn't there a, another offspring of a conductor kind of involved in it in an obtuse way? She's doing some narration at the same show, but not the performance of the Aesop's Fables. Oh, you're referring to Jamie Bernstein. Oh, yes. Leonard Jamie Bernstein's Bernstein. daughter. That's right. Right. She will be narrating the great, great work by Sergei Prokofiev, Peter and the Wolf. And I could not be th- more thrilled than to be on the same stage, so to speak, musically. In both of these world premiere, or the world premiere performance of the Aesop's Fables that you actually composed. Yes, I collaborated with Paul Reisler, and we will speak about that collaboration later. Um, but it, I composed the music, and Paul and I collaborated on it, and it will be appearing world uh, premiere this Saturday. Okay, in the background we have a little bit of mood change there into the calypso type of feel. Yeah, just demonstrating uh, different instruments that I play. This would be on the chromatic harmonica with Charlottesville's own Matthew Wilner. So I'm playing chromatic harmonica. A Matthew Wilner composition? Yes. And and you're on harmonica? Yes, he wanted something in the Stevie Wonder style, so I gave him this. So you're playing more types of organs than what people would expect. Careful here, dude. <laughs> uh, I'm happy to Come say on. that I play ten instruments. Uh, the one that I, on which I've sought virtuosity would be the piano. But I love music, and uh, I've worked on about ten instruments over the years. And here would be an example of the uh, small harmonica doing uh, a kind of Little Walter or Paul Butterfield blues solo. we go through this next hour and 15 minutes here on Folk and Beyond, we're going to be exploring all types of music with Art Wheeler, and and he'll be letting us know what's going on in the background and uh, all the different types of things he's been involved with and and what gives him the uh, authority or the knowledge to speak from whence he comes. Now here's an example of 70s Soul with a group I worked within Los Angeles featuring the great Donnie Gerard and uh, I arranged this played the chromatic harmonica near the end and uh, added some keyboard synth sounds and some vibes as in vibraphone Now, this was from a band you actually put together out in L.A. from your time in L.A.? Well, largely the band was already composed. I was asked to come there and uh, arrange, write, perform. Uh, And it was a thrill because this singer, Donnie Gerard, had a big hit out a number of years ago. And uh, I worked with two of his singing colleagues, Vernon and Mark, and they're fabulous. 
So the group was largely assembled. Again, my job was to arrange, write, produce, perform. And uh, here was an example where a Stevie Wonder-like chromatic harmonica solo was called for. And you'll hear it in about another verse or so. Your harmonica solo that goes on this song? Yeah, it's near the end. So later in the show, we're going to get into some very special things that Art has done. One will be called the Polyphony Epiphany. Oh, yeah. Which is, I believe, 1,000 now, 1,107 transitions or... We'll call them ways or modulations from C to A minor. And these are done to the first two bars of Sweet Georgia Brown, I believe. Actually, Hoagy Carmichael's Georgia. Oh, Georgia. Mm -hmm. That coming up in the second hour, as well as we are going to be premiering right here on Folk and Beyond. The Aesop's Fables that will be having their world premiere in the orchestral version. We're going to be premiering four of them that have Art Wheeler narration to them, which when I heard it the first time, I couldn't believe it, Art. The voices were just amazing. I, I, I still listen to it and say, that's can't be Art Wheeler. Well, that's a huge compliment coming from you because you're one of the kookiest guys I know. <laughs> Why would I be listening to Aesop's Fables? I know you're not sincere and you'll never be But still I need your kisses so desperately I could never let you go Maybe it's because I know Every rule of love you disobey Johnny Gerard has just an amazing voice, and he was—he had a big hit when in the '70s was this really big hit? I think '75, '75, and um, I believe the name of that tune was called "Wildflower." You are correct, sir. And that's not it. No. But we're gonna find it. While you're groping around for that, want the etymology of kook? The etymology of kook. Yeah, give me the etymology of kook. Well, it comes from cuckoo, which is an onomatopoeia for the cuckoo bird. And an the onomatopoeia being? To spell a wordless sound, to make a name for it, literally means in Greek. And the metaphor is the cuckoo bird lays its eggs in the nest of other birds. Ouch. That's kind of kooky and strange, ain't it? That's a coo. He takes over the nest. It's a bit of a coup. <laughs> hey, leave the comedy to me. Get out of here. <laughs> is that where it comes? Maybe that's really where it comes from. Here you go. This is Donnie Gerard and the tune. Do you know what the band he was with at the time was called? Or was just Donnie Gerard was given the total? I have forgot. I think it was Skylark. I think that was the name of the group. Either way, Wildflower with Donnie Gerard. The big 70s hit to make sure you folks all know how great the great Donnie Gerard was. Yes. She's faced the hardest times you could 
could imagine And many times her eyes fought back the tears And when her youthful world was about to fall in Each time her slender shoulders bore the weight of all her fears And a sorrow no one hears still rings in midnight silence in her ears Let her cry for she's a lady Let her dream She's a child. child Let the rain fall down upon her She's a free and gentle flower Growing wild And if by chance I should hold her Let me hold her for a time And if allowed but one possession I would pick her from the garden to be And thus starts the history of jazz piano, in my perspective, as played on the 12-bar blues progression. Uh, This is part of a work that's still in progress. I'm calling it the Blues Tempered Clavier. Uh, Obviously a slight nod to the great Johann Sebastian Bach who wrote the Well Tempered Clavier. I thought it would be wonderful and fun and enlightening for me and students to write uh, blues on every, uh, in every style, from Scott Joplin to the present. Now, Scott Joplin, as far as I know, wrote no blues on the piano, so I wrote this in the ragtime style. So it would represent piano, say, from 1880 to about 1910. And there was actually 12-bar blues behind that. Yes. This would be another 12-bar blues in the style of Jelly Roll Morton, another original piece. It would be one, two, three, four. Two, two, three, four, three, two, three, four, four, two, three, four, five, two, three, four, six, two, three, four, seven, two, three, four, eight, two, three, nine, two, three, four, ten, two, three, eleven, two, three, four, twelve, start over. There it is. That would be the counting of the twelve measures. And in a moment, I'll demonstrate the lyric form, which we'll describe as AAB. And this comes to an end. I'll describe it, sing it, and then we'll demonstrate it live. And, and this would perhaps be around the time period of 19... 1910, 1920, something like that, 1925. All right, if you pause. Here we go, we're going to pause. This is in the style of James P. Johnson. This would be 1920, 1925. We ain't going to pause. All right, about 1930 or so. And James P. Johnson is considered to be the father of stride piano. The left hand makes large jumps or strides across the keys. Came around a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Kind of in the Depression time music. Huh? Yeah, big influence on uh, Fats Waller and Art Tatum. 
who came next? Did you want me to stop at the end of this? At the end, if you will, then I'll demonstrate. So one of the great aesthetic forms, one of the giant song forms we've inherited uh, in America is the so-called blues. And it means at least two things. That is, it's a way of singing, and it's a song form. And the song form usually lasts 12 measures, as I counted earlier. And the song form includes a lyric form or a lyric shape, which we'll describe as A-A-B. For example, I'm going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. That's A. I'm going to repeat it. Another A. I'm going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. Another conclusion. B. Cause there's nothing in Chicago monkey woman like you can do. So that would be the common lyric form. So when we play the next piece, I'll sing that same lyric so that the audience can hear that even though there's a host of notes being played in a jazz style, it's all performed over that 12-bar length and that AAB shape, demonstrating that the blues song form is probably the most influential form in American music. And one of the most influential forms, I think, in the history of music, considering how many times it's been done, from folk people to even uh, George Gershwin and Aaron Copland have done their works on the blues progression. So if you fire the next tune, I'll give it a whir. And we'll hear some of those in this whole history. Yes. All performed by Art Wheeler. Thank you. All original so far. I'll wait for the next 12 bars. And, I'll start and this the is the... Um, Heinz, Tatum, Waller, Earl Heinz, and Going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. I'm going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. Cause nothing in Chicago, monkey woman like you can do. Now, new verse. One, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, three, two, three, four, four, two, three, five, two, three, four, six, two, three, four, seven, two, three, four, eight, two, three, nine, two, three, four, ten, two, three, four, eleven, two, three, four, twelve. Turn around, just start over. Going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. Still linked all to the blues. Going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. Cause nothing in Chicago, monkey woman like you can do. So again, this is an example of playing jazz piano on the blues song form. And it's an expression over the years I've been called to do different projects. People want something in one style or another style. So I just decided to try to condense it all and make it an accessible vocabulary for myself. And then I realized it's a, a fun and wonderful expose of the great ingenuity of all these giant pianists here in the American pantheon, from Scott Joplin through Art Tatum and Bill Evans and Oscar Peterson. This is a little Oscar Peterson-like here. This is a little introduction. And then we'll start the block chords like Oscar would play. Oscar often invokes earlier pianists, and now we begin. I'm going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. Going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. Give 
There's nothing in Chicago monkey won't like you can do. Now count it. See how it goes? Yeah. So it's a fantastic form, very simple in its description, and yet it's so malleable that it can it can accommodate anyone from someone moaning on a front porch to Gershwin and Aaron Copeland and beyond. Everyone has worked in this form. Virtually everyone. You know, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Paul Butterfield, Jimi Hendrix. And again, the great classical composers in the 20th century. It doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon either. Um, I find that its popularity is waning, but there are many, many uh, wonderful musicians around the world who are still working with it. So this would be Boogie Woogie, Pete Johnson, Albert Ammons, Mead Lux Lewis, so many others. And this style begets rock and roll. Now this is, this is one piano player right now, live, one piano. Yes. When I was in the first grade, there was a kid named Danny O'Brien, and he was in a, an adjoining class, and he knew how to play a little boogie-woogie, and it just arrested me until this day. So thank you, Danny O'Brien. He inspired me. And that's the beginnings of rock and roll, 1950, 1955. You'll hear that kind of, that the left-hand accompaniment I'm playing would exemplify what Chuck would do on his rhythm guitar. In musicians' terminologies, when they're not talking about notes, they'll, they'll talk about one, three, seven, five, six, drop, right. four, something yes. like that, which would mean the note, like per se, the first, fourth, and fifth. Well, those numbers usually express the numbers of the notes in a scale. One, two, th- perhaps I could demonstrate that in a break. It's my opinion that uh, the major scale, the word major means great, comes from the same root as magnificent. The major scale, in my opinion, is the most important musical invention in the history of the universe, the musical universe, that is. Because it's not only a complete idea, as in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I'm finished, or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's a complete idea, a complete musical idea. So it's not only a complete musical idea, Um, chords are generated from that scale. In other words, maybe the early Renaissance, people were noticing that you could play the one and the third note and the fifth note together, and it was a wonderful sound. Then they moved and played two, four, and six together and played those three notes, and that became a chord. We usually define a chord as any two or more notes together. So what you're referring to in that arithmetic is probably we have a scale that can be numbered 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And often musicians are talking about adding the third note of the scale or adding the sixth note of the scale or the seventh note of the scale to their chords. And that's usually what they're referring to. So standard blues would be 1, 4, 5. Yes, a standard blues would be 
you play on the one chord for four measures one two three four two two three four three two three four four two three four now we'll change and we'll play a chord on the one two three four five two three four six two three four go back to one one two three four one two three four now we'll go to the five one two three four five two three four six two, three, two. then you go back to one one two three four two two three four so those measures that I just counted out constitute 12 measures. Each measure has four counts. And as I sang it there rather crudely, I covered chords built on the first note of the scale, one, two, three, fourth note of the scale, and the fifth note of the scale, and then ended up on one. The blues, the first, fourth, and fifth of the scale. Yes. Learning more about the blues on WTJU Charlottesville, 91.1 FM on the radio dial and WTJU.net on the World Wide Web. Our guest in the air studio today is Art Wheeler. As we're going over the history of jazz piano on the 12-bar blues progression. You're correct, sir. In the, I guess this would be in the 20th century. Yes. In the 20th century because that's when it was... It was born, I guess, just before the 20th century, or we guess we don't really know how old it was. Well, this is a guess. We've got uh, this tremendous clash of cultures, if you will, uh, Anglo and Afro in America, and with all of this tremendous horrific pain during slavery, uh, these human beings started moaning, and the moaning gives way to a five-note scale, if you will, a so-called pentatonic scale that might sound something like this. And the moaning and singing and suffering and joy that were translated into that scale grow into, perhaps somewhere in the 19th century, into that song form. And then it becomes popular, apparently both that is, that style of singing, that moaning style and bending those notes, become popular not only in the church experience, but also in the dance experience, the nightclub experience. And where I pick it up uh, is with right at the turn of the century. Again, as far as I know, Scott Joplin, with his great genius for writing ragtime, as far as I know, didn't write any blues. Per se. Right, as far as I know. Um... So I wrote one in the style of Scott Joplin because he's the first biggest uh, organized compositional name in um, African-American music on the piano. And uh, the next giant name uh, that I observe would be Jelly Roll Morton. So we heard one in his style. And uh, he often said that he was the inventor of jazz. And then after that, I think... Um, Humble man. Perhaps. <laughs> he had quite a personality. Uh, and then I think James P. Johnson and Earl Hines uh, and DeFats Waller and Art Tatum. And, of course, to name any of these people is to probably neglect other great geniuses. Sure. Uh, but these are the giant names that I've grown up with. Well, where we left it off at, and we'll pick back up in the history of blues here. The Excuse me, the history of jazz piano in the 12-bar blues progression. Correct. Here we are picking back up in about 1950. Yeah, this is a bebop style that you'll hear from Bud Powell, and even early Bill Evans would use it. 
Now we have some substitute chords, new sounds, but they're still lasting the same 12 measures and could still accommodate that AAB lyric form, and I'll show you in this next one. And we've got Thelonious Monk coming up. Going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. Going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. There's nothing in Chicago a monkey woman like you can do. By the way, ladies, I'm not citing the ladies as being monkey-like. I was a monkey with a mandolin for about at least four decades. Thank you for clarifying that. Thank you. Now, this is a Herbie Hancock head. He actually wrote this melody. But yep. I think it's the best exemplification of, say, early 60s. Still with the blues right yep. there. Now, this will be a head written by Thad Jones. Going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. Going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. There's nothing in Chicago a monkey will make you can do. So the blues, in a sense, is like the concerto form or the sonata form or the symphony form. It's a shape, and you can put in there whatever you want, and it works as long as it sounds good. And we've got at least one to five styles for every decade in the 20th century. And it's just awesome to behold its transcendental development from moaning to where this ends up. Is this still Herbie Hancock? Yes. In the influence. Oh, no, this would be in the McCoy Tyner style. I'm sorry. So we've moved on up to about 1965 on with yeah. this. And this would be a little like McCoy and Chick. Chick is in Chick Corea, one of the great latter half of the 20th century jazz pianists. Again, this is in the McCoy Tyner Chick Corea school using an esoteric term, the magic chord. I'm going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. A little like Oscar Peterson. Going to Chicago, baby, but I can't take you. There's nothing in Chicago a monkey man like you can do. Now's everybody satisfied? <laughs> So I have found uh, the more eclectic a pianist is, the more fun it can be live to hear all of these quotes and all of these styles. It just enriches a person's imagination. And this is just an interlude leading us up to the next pass, which will be McCoy-like. McCoy Tyner, the great pianist, who worked with John Coltrane. Still 12 bars. Wow. Still the blues. Yeah. Now this is where it eludes a lot of listeners who know blues. They go, I don't hear any blues melody in that. Now we're playing jazz on the blues form. And here it begins. One, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, three, two, three, four, four, two, three, four, five, two, three, four, six, two, three, four, seven, two, three, four, eight, two, three, four, nine, two, three, four, ten, two, three, four, eleven, two, three, four, twelve, two, start over. 
And what would especially elude many uh, listeners of just blues is there's no bass line or drums here. So for some it would sound formless. So the rhythm is implied. And you'll hear many solo pianists play like this now. That is, no walking bass, no drums, rhythm implied. And it took me a while to understand that when I was growing up. Then I loved it. Now a walking bass will enter here and it'll take us to the end. And I'm going to invoke a little bit of everybody in here, including at the end, um, there'll be an invocation of James P. Johnson and a little allusion to Stravinsky on the closing chord, inspired by Petrushka. From 1899, there he's trying to start over. Even art doesn't like to stop on the on the on this. <laughs> a progression all the way as we're hearing it, kind of in the background here now. The Scott Joplin influenced version from 1899 coming yeah. all the way up to the present day, which really kind of the history stops in 1970-ish. By 1970, 1975. Uh, people had tried just about everything, playing freely as opposed to playing melodically or tunefully, doing all manner of wild things. But again, it's based on that uh, miracle contribution to world music and American music, the blues song form. Well, let's move on to the Aesop's Fables. And even though there's a big capital A on the beginning of it, it's actually... It's spelled A-E-S-O-P. Correct. But it's pronounced Aesop. Yes. Apparently, uh, Aesop was an African slave in Greece, I think around the 6th century B.C. And he was named Aesop by the Greeks because the Greek word Aesop means burnt face. Apparently, he was a very dark-skinned man. But, again, apparently because of his genius to tell stories, he was set free and invented some of our most influential tales. Tortoise and the Hare, The Boy Who Cried Wolf, we hear these as a kid, The Goose That Laid the Golden Egg. Um, A wonderful etymology I've discovered is that the country of Ethiopia is named after Aesop or Ethiopia. Hmm. Um, I think it's considered to have the 
human beings with the darkest complexion, a la Aesop. So I was called uh, about 11 years ago by Paul Reisler of Kid Pan Alley. Uh, he and Tom Paxton were writing songs based on the fables. Um, wonderful concept because, to my knowledge, no one, no composer or songwriter has done anything with these stories. We've got all manner of mythologies and operas and plays and such, but as far as I know, no one had covered these up fables. So I was asked to arrange one of their songs, uh, The Fox and the Grapes. Uh, but immediately I thought, why don't I try to bring a classical sentiment to it? Uh, in the same way Wagner covers those great Norse tales of Vodan and so on, Ring of the Nibelung, I said, why don't I try to bring a Peter and the Wolf concept to this? I've been an indefatigable lover of uh, classical music all my life, from Arinsky to Zemlinsky. And I know the tales well and have quoted them many times doing silent films. That's a craft I've been doing for about 20 years. Uh-huh. So, okay. In fact, didn't you uh, often play at the Virginia Film Festival for the silent films? Many times. And I uh, have played uh, silent films around the country. And it's a craft that I positively love. It's, uh, it calls on a, for a great skill. You have to invent. And I love to do them cold. I don't want to see the film just walk in and do it. And uh, simply said, the part of the art of it is is to know your history of classical music because all of those giant names, again, from Arensky to Zemlinsky, Bach, Rachmaninoff, Chopin, and so on, Liszt, Wagner, they created all of the great quotes that you hear in these silent films. And when we say quotes, we mean the phrases of music. Yes. So having loved them and copied them for so many years, it was a wonderful, wonderful treat and treatment and challenge to do those. So again, when I uh, arranged The uh, Fox and the Grapes, I thought it right on time, in time, each time, every time, all the time, and the nighttime is the right time to bring a kind of Peter and the Wolf sentiment to uh, this concept. And uh, Paul and uh, Tom Paxton uh, apparently were very happy with this new concept, and they said, why don't you, or rather Paul said, why don't you just write the music? And I said, fantastic. So uh, Paul and I collaborated on and off for 10 years. I was gone for a number of years to Los Angeles. That's why it took so long. But we collaborated, and uh, I worked lovingly and with great excitement in writing uh, the music for these fables. So the first, <clears throat> the first one we're going to hear tonight, and this is part of a, this whole a premiere here, is, is the premiere on radio. If you will. Of uh, any of these particular renditions of these. The ones you're going to hear at the premiere at 3 o'clock and 7 o'clock Saturday at the Charlottesville Performing Arts Center, which is now the Martin Luther King Jr. Performing Arts Center there as part of Charlottesville's high school, is uh, a full orchestra string ensemble and all the in the arrangement and the, what do they call that? The, orchestration. The orchestration mm-hmm. of it was all composed by, by yourself? Yes. Uh, I... What we'll hear, uh, I have orchestrated, uh, but we're working with the Charlottesville High School Orchestra, a wonderful right. group of students, and Laura Thomas is to be forever commended for the fantastic job she does with these great, great players. I went to one rehearsal and was just completely overwhelmed with inspiration watching the job that she does and this, seeing the ingenuity of these kids, these students, these young people play again, was so profoundly touching. What we'll hear is the original orchestration as I played it on synthesizer. 
Right, so so what we're going to hear today will be Art Wheeler on voice and narrating, and Art Wheeler playing all of the instruments that you will hear. They're all synthesized, so you composed it and played everything on this cut we're going to hear. Yes, I cannot play all those wind instruments, nor can I play the violins. Thank you for the synthesizer in modern technology. Right. But I'm amazed, you know, at, at how accurate it can sound for just a machine. Right. And the ones that will be played, the one, of course, that will be played on Saturday will be with the uh, whole Charlottesville String Ensemble, and it'll actually be narrated, not by Art, no, but by a fellow named Ted Pugh. Ted Hughes, I think it is. Uh, perhaps. I think it's Ted Hughes. Now, I don't know Ted, but I've heard just wonderful superlatives about him, so I'm very Although, if it is Ted Hughes, they need to, he needs to call them up and tell them to change the name on all of the literature. All right, Ted, wherever you are on planet Earth, I'm sorry. If he's Hughes and not Pew, he will be not happy, because it's coming out as Pew on them. So, Ted Hughes or Pew will be doing the narration on Saturday, but what you're going to hear now is Art Wheeler doing everything. And the one we're going to start with is the Orvature and Tortoise in the Hair, a world premiere. Go ahead. I thought we were starting with a different one. If we're starting with the Tortoise in the Hair, there will be a few seconds of a slight orchestration, a slight string orchestration done by a gentleman from Nashville who has actually written the score out on paper for the Charlottesville High School Orchestra. So we might invoke 10 seconds of him. However, the rest of it, I orchestrated. Okay. I thought you were starting with a different one. I, w- I was not. Okay, here we go with the overture into Tortoise in the Hair right here on Folk and Beyond, a world premiere. Yippee. Once upon a time there was a tortoise, and there was a hare. And the hare was just about the fastest creature on four legs. The tortoise, on the other hand, was famous for being slow. One day, the tortoise got it into his head that he'd like to race with the hare.
Take it slow, Joe. Uh, take take it easy, Louisy. <laughs> I like that, Louisy. And uh, you get along quite well. Well, the hare thought the tortoise was crazy, but a challenge is a challenge. And he thought he'd show that slow-witted turtle a thing or ten. So they took off running! Well, the hare ran. But the tortoise sort of just, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Let him try that. And we'll see how furry gets. <laughs> what a joke. I've got plenty of time for a little nappy, nappy, nap before I dash across the finish, 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 finish line. He'll be a week just getting to where I am now. Hey, old man, tell, tell me a little bedtime story. While we wait for the end of the race, let me tell you about the goose who laid the golden eggs. All right, we'll pick up with the goose that laid the golden egg here in a second, which will be the second of the Aesop's fables uh, from Art Wheeler, world premiere of the Aesop's fables. So these that are going to be played, they're in a certain specific order as the, they're presented. Will this be the same order that will be happening here at uh, the performance at the Charlottesville Art, uh, Performing Arts Center? Yes. Unfortunately, the Goose Lay the Golden Eggs, which is forthcoming tonight, will not be at the Performing Arts Center. It will be under Lauren Mazel's baton at the Rappahannock Theater. Okay. So they won't hear this one on Saturday, but we get to hear it here right now. You are correct, sir. All right. That was amazing art. Here we go with The Goose That Laid the Golden Egg, world premiere from Art Wheeler. Just about time now, my Zeus, making my fortune from my goose. How do you like it? Is it nice? Oh, what a pity that it can't be twice. What a pity that it can't be twice. Like it, I love it, but never think you're done. I'm going to make my fortune, Goose. Now lay another one. 
I'll only lay once a day. A golden egg I'll lay. And it's all for you, my master. But it's only once a day. Once a day. One a day. <laughs> One a day. What's this foolish thing you say? Now you admit that I'm your master. Now I command you to work faster. One a day. What's this crazy thing you say? If you don't get busy trying, you might find that you are dying. One a day. That's the only way I pay. Even if you can't wait till tomorrow, I see nothing then but sorrow. Listen there, Goosey. You'd better agree those golden eggs belong to me! Now let's see what you've been hiding in there! The Goose That Laid the Golden Egg. Yes. Premiere right here on WTJU. We're here with Art Wheeler. I'm Air Steven. This is Folk and Beyond. We are premiering some Aesop's fables, and so far we've heard the overture, Tortoise in the Hare, and we just heard The Goose That Laid the Golden Egg, which won't be heard anywhere else but here for right now, it looks like. When you say uh, Mizell, that's up in the Rappahannock County area, and I think I've got the actual location here, the theater name. It's called The Theater House at Castleton Farms in Castleton, Virginia, is where that performance will be on January 30th and January 31st. And this is with uh, the conductor being the conductor of the New York Philharmonic? You are correct, sir. Amazing. This is quite a coup art. I could not ever be more professionally, aesthetically, artistically honored and humbled than that. That's it. That's as far as I can go. And he's coming down to direct the Charlottesville String Ensemble, which is basically the Charlottesville Orchestra, I guess, as, uh, at Charlottesville High School's String Ensemble. Yes, they'll be there. Now, I understand that there will be, I can't confirm this, but I heard that there will be some members of the New York Philharmonic there as well. Amazing. That's quite a thing for the students themselves. Yes. So those of us in Charlottesville can catch this being performed live on 
Saturday, January 23rd, right there at the Martin Luther King Performing Arts Center. Uh, Saturday at 3 o'clock is the afternoon show, and Saturday at 7 o'clock p.m. is the evening show. And But they won't get to hear it in this synthesized form that, that you're hearing tonight. Thank you, because we had a few glitches there in the beginning of that one. And, but they will be able to hear it in uh, the orchestra form. But this all has Art Wheeler himself doing all of the voices. Just congratulations. I am amazed, Art. Thank you very much. It's fun. It's just stuff I have copied from, you know, TV and cartoons, and I'm one of those children of cartoon era. You never watch cartoons anymore, I'm sure. I'm, friend, for a number of years, <laughs> my life has been a cartoon. Oh, I have a romantic story to oh, tell. No, that's my life. <laughs> Would you like the etymology of cartoon, by the way? Sure. Uh, apparently, in the early 20th century, uh, artists were drawing their, uh, their kooky lampoons on cheap carton paper. Hence cartoons. Try to cheer down over there, will you? I love that story. (laughs) (laughs) Now that got me a laugh, though. Thank you. All right. So next up is The Nightingale and the Laborer. Right. And this is the classic story of somebody wanting something for himself. And so he takes this beautiful transcendental creature out of the forest and tries to cage it up in his home. And suddenly the bird can't sing. And uh, I would like to add, I tried to bring... A modern touch in this, you had mentioned earlier about the polyphony epiphany, this 1,107 ways. I took about four of those, interestingly enough, and I put them in this work, including a reference to Arnold Schoenberg, who created the 12-tone system. So near the end, you'll hear the piano play 12 different notes without repeating them, and then play another series of 12 different notes without repeating them in the Arnold Schoenberg School. Without any further ado, The Nightingale and the Laborer, world premiere. And now, The Nightingale and the Laborer. A laborer lay one summer's night and listened the whole night long to a nightingale in a nearby tree, filling the air with song. The laborer was so entranced, so pleased with what he heard, that he rose and set a clever trap and captured the singing bird. (laughs) Your home shall be this cage of wire instead of a chestnut tree. Your beautiful song is mine alone. You'll sing for none but me. Oh, oh, you're wrong as rain, you big old ox. You'd have no music then, for a nightingale locked in a cage will never sing again. (laughs) Is that a fact, my little friend? Then here's how I feel. I've heard it said a nightingale would make a pleasant meal. Oh, don't eat me, sir, but free me now and take some good advice. Three pearls of wisdom I'll share, all precious beyond price. The laborer let his captive go. It circled round his head. It flew to the top of the tallest pine and settling its feathers said, Oh, never believe a captive's oath. It isn't worth a lot. Second, you're always wise to keep what you have got. One last thing I've got to say, I'll tell you before I fly off. Never waste your sorrow, sir, in weeping for what you've lost. And
And by the way, there's one more thing I've got to tell all you boys and girls, and I hope you'll mark my words. The woods would be such a boring place if we listened only to the top ten birds. And now, the boy who cried wolf. Oh, nothing to do. I'm so bored. Once there was a shepherd boy with a naughty sense of humor that was bound to get him into trouble someday. And today just might be the day. shepherd game. You start to feel ignored, you hang around sheep, and pretty soon you're really getting bored. Ah, I know what I'll do. I'll cry wolf, and I'll show them a thing or two. So he concocted a lie. He made a false cry for help. He pretended that there was a wolf stalking his flock. He thought it would be funny to play a trick on the whole town. Oh, what fun to see them all run Why, there was the man and the laborer.
fellow in the neighborhood. They don't know what I think of. They'll come running whenever I shout. <laughs> now what I do when I get back home is I, is I count from one to ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then I grab myself a quick big breath. <laughs> and I do it all over again. <laughs> Wolf! It isn't poppycock. I cry wolf, but they won't believe it's true. I can yell until I'm hoarse, but there's nothing I can do. Mmm, I'm delicious. <laughs> delicious. You can fool them once, and you can fool them twice. But don't you ever cry wolf, is my advice. Don't you ever cry wolf, is my advice. Don't you ever cry wolf, is my advice. And now the story of the fox and the grapes. completes our premiere with the music continuing in the background by the great composer Artemis Pianicus. Artemis Idioticus, my friend. Well, if this isn't so narcissistic, amateurs borrow genius to steal. <laughs> this, this one is uh, Pianicus right here. Right. All on the keyboard, all on the synthesizer, performed by Art Wheeler. And uh, this one does not have the lyric to it at this point. It wasn't included on this copy of the CD. I love this piece, The Fox and the Graves. And again, this is how the whole work began. Paul had written a song uh, 
and narration, uh, as far as I understand, was written partly by Tom Paxson as well. And so uh, this is the story of the sour wolf. No, that's the one before. The fox. Uh, we use this idiom in the English language. We, you hear it from time to time. Someone has sour grapes. Uh-huh. And it comes from this uh, grand Aesop tale. The fox jumps all day for these grapes that he heartfully wants. But he doesn't have the discipline to continue, nor does he have the strength to jump that high. And so he rationalizes rather cynically. Hey, they're probably sour anyway. I didn't want them. It's sour grapes. Yes. And this is a, a common reaction, I think, in the human experience. I have certainly suffered it a number of times and am learning how not to commit this mistake again. All right. Don't forget, on January 23rd, right here in Charlottesville, the world premiere performance of Aesop's Fables as composed by Art Wheeler with some help from Paul Reisler, concept and uh, produced by Paul Reisler, and words and music by Tom Paxton and Paul, I mean words uh, by Tom Paxton and Paul Reisler. Yes, I love the libretto, if you will, and it's uh, Tom Paxton and Paul Reisler. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All right. Don't forget that Saturday, the 23rd, 3 o'clock p.m. for the afternoon show and 7 o'clock p.m. for the evening show right here at the Martin Luther King Jr. Performing Arts Center right there kind of attached to Charlottesville High School. starts our excerpts from the book the polyphony epiphany yes 1107 modulations from C to A minor it sounds like a strange book to write it does sound like a strange book who would, who would think of a book like that a kook <laughs> in any case let me tell you what inspired it And after this moment, you might pause so that people will know exactly what they're hearing. You just give me the signal. Let this one finish. I had been playing uh, for about 12 to 13, 14 years in African-American churches, gospel music. Uh, And I was doing the old style, if you will. And I went to Los Angeles around 2000. And when I arrived there, I had a job playing in a great, great congregation. But immediately people told me, dude, you're playing an old style. We haven't been doing that for decades. And I was astounded at the genius harmonist 
there in Los Angeles. And there, I met kids who were eight, nine years old who were playing the Hammond organ and the piano with uh, wonderful facility and wonderful new harmonies and voicings. And they were using all manner of new chords to play old hymns. And I realized immediately that I was, I was out of style. So I took a pause and just started roaming around for, actually for about a year, different churches, just listening. I take my tape recorder and I would copy and analyze and even took some lessons. I met a guy named Kenneth who was a great Hammond organ player and a great modern harmonist. And um, I asked him after a service, I heard him play. I was just astounded. I said, do you teach? He said, no, I don't teach. And I said, would you teach for $500 an hour? <laughs> he said, oh, where do you want to meet? So I, in other words, I gave him 500 bucks, and we sat down for an hour, and I learned what he was doing. So when I came back to Charlottesville, I realized I had better build my harmonic vocabulary or I'm going to be out of touch. So I wrote... Yes? I wrote... Uh, Ten new ways to go from C to A minor, because this movement of C to A minor was very common. So I had ten. I said, well, gee, why don't I try to have twelve? And I got so excited about it, I went all the way to twenty-five. Lo and behold, I started to discipline myself and started to write ten, fifteen, twenty-five a day. Couldn't stop. I got to a thousand. I said, okay, if I don't want to be compulsive, obsessive, I better stop at a thousand one. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> but after that, I got rolling and just discovered new ideas all the way up to the twelve-tone idea of uh, Schoenberg which I used back there in the Nightingale. And um, by the time I finished, I got into 1,107. I said, that's enough. That's got to be it. Right. So now, after this one, if you'll pause, I'll explain how it works in this work, in this book. Which begins with Georgia C chord. I took the song Georgia by Hoagy Carmichael, great classic, and I took the first measure, which is a C chord, Georgia, two, three, four. Then the next measure, Georgia, two, three, four, boom, A minor. And I took that measure of the second, Georgia, two, three, four, A minor. I took that one bar of one, two, three, four, and I wrote it 1,107 different ways. And I learned so much, and I'll, I'll count it through. One, two, three, four, A. Two, three, four. That's a bit in the style of Rachmaninoff or Tchaikovsky. One, two, two, three. I counted that incorrectly, but that was a measure. One, two, three, four. Now, that went from A major to A minor. If you'll pause, I'll tell you very quickly. There's a popular cadence in classical music called the Picardy Third. I call that the fall from Victory Third. It went to A major, then to A minor. I love that sound. One, two, three, four, A minor. So that's what the book is.
ஈஸியாக தினக்ஷன் So these transitions will take us to the end of the hour. Why don't you tell us what special thing is going to be coming up as we're... Ooh. Right near the end, um, we'll have... I took uh, part of the theme of uh, the first fugue in Boxwell Timberclavier, and I wrote a little canon or invention over that. Then I played uh, the left hand in the style of Beethoven, Then I did a slow one in which I played 27 different chords in the measure to demonstrate there are 27 chords that can be played over a dominant chord. And then I decided to end with playing a board on all 52 white keys because that can construct an A minor chord. So really, all the white keys down at once is an A minor chord? Yes, a kind of A minor chord. You can play the lowest A on the piano, which is 27.5 cycles per second, and the top C, which is in an A minor chord, that's 4,186 cycles per second. So I played all 52 white keys three times. Then I decided, gee, why don't I demonstrate the whole galaxy of sound from which we draw all our music? So I put a board on the black keys, 36 of those, and the 52, and I went boom, boom, like a nuclear blast, and played all 50, or rather all 88 pitches. And that's how the polyphony epiphany ends. Yeah, I think it's appropriate and fun. Awesome. We're still hearing transitions. Yes. Just two, just two bars. Actually, one bar. One bar. Mm-hmm. Four counts. I'll count it for you in this next one. There's your fall from victory third. One and two and three and four and Boom. A minor. Yes. <laughs> so if one were to study the arithmetic of any one of these... In my opinion, he could understand the arithmetic, the analysis of all music around the globe. The polyphony epiphany. Can you get this online or something? Uh, the book has been available, and uh, the CDs will be included in the book shortly. I just finished recording it with my great friend Don Cowdery, who worked <laughs> diligently, you can imagine, the sweat he had to exude to record 1,107 little things like that. Art, it's been a real pleasure having you in the studio today. I could not be more honored. It's like you're the second DJ, you know, just a whole <laughs> other fella here with all of the knowledge about all of the different types of music in the world. I want to say to all those who are listening, everyone I know, whether it's in passing or an acquaintance or a friend or a loved one, All of you have made my life possible to do this. I love you all and would love just to see you in passing on the street, just to say, hey, that's why I love this town. It's small enough to see folks. So thank you all of my friends and acquaintances. I love you. Looks like we're not going to get to some stuff we brought in with Johnny Gilmore. Looks like we're not going to get to a couple things that we had in mind, and sure. one of them were the left-hand piano works. Mm-hmm. Art is not playing in the studio live with us today. He's recuperating from a finger injury on the right hand that's healing a bit. Yes. But I've been working on uh, the mastery of the left hand, and there's an Alexandrian library of great piano music for the left hand, and I'll be performing that soon, I think, to everybody's fun. It's just one hand, and you'll have a monster on the piano with Art Wheeler. That's the hope.
And so when this winds up for us, we're going to play it to the end. He's, he's, he's told you what's going to happen with the big finale, and that's what you'll be hearing. Uh, make sure we know when that's coming up here. Yes. You're listening to The Sound Choice in Central Virginia, WTJU Charlottesville. I'm Eric Steven, and I'll be back next week. Until then, you'll just have to rock the boat without me. Sure had fun today. Thanks again for coming in, Art. Yippee, yippee. Sounds like you're getting the yeah, that would to be wrap it. that would be an invocation of the Welltemper Clavier, the very first fugue. Right after this, we'll hear an invocation of Beethoven with the left hand, and then it ends. So I'll give you Georgia with this. Georgia, Georgia, A minor, but I extended a little farther. And here comes the conclusion. It'll be played very slowly, so I can squeeze in 27 chords. Two, three, and that was C, and here comes the next one. 27 chords. One, and two, and three, and four, and here's A minor. Here come your 52 white notes. One last low A and high C. Then you'll hear the nuclear blast of 88 galactical pitches. (laughs) Thanks, Art. Thank you, my friend. Folk and Beyond with Air Stephen for a journey into contemporary folk music from all over the planet.